Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill. Happy May. Yes, it still doesn't feel too much like May. No, here. I know. Oh, that's a bit chilly, but happy May to you as well. I'm looking for some May flowers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, plenty, of, plenty of April showers, that's for sure. Well, yeah, we'll probably have some May showers. Maybe we'll have, what did I say before, June or July flowers. That would be good. There we go. All right. Well, you know, I thought this would be a good time to talk about a couple things we've already spoken about, mostly regulation of lab-developed tests. But what's really kind of prompting this, besides the fact that this is an issue that hasn't gone away, it's been on everyone's mind, but also there's been some recent news out where the FDA warned of risks associated with the NIPS testing, which is another topic we've covered. Remember, that's the non-invasive prenatal screening test for those of our listeners that are trying to remember that these are all screening tests that use cell-free DNA to detect possible genetic conditions in an unborn baby fetus. And so there's concerns that these tests may not be used appropriately. Hence the question of what should be done in terms of regulation and oversight of lab-developed tests. So it might be a good time to just talk about what the proposed bills are. Again, we have the Valid Act and the Vital Act, and there's some intricacies with both of those. And Bill, you do so much work and you've he heard so much about these. I thought this would be a great topic if you want to just tell us a bit more. Yeah, I, yeah, it is. A, I think it's a timely topic and it's mm -hmm. one, it's interesting because as you said, this whole idea of the FDA regulation of laboratory developed tests is something that's been discussed as a potential concern for clinical laboratories, really since I've been in leadership uh, in 2009, when I started the hematopathology division chair here at Mayo Clinic. So the question is why now, why is it getting so much attention? You mentioned a really important point, and that is there was this recent uh, New York Times, I think it was, or a published mm -hmm. article about non-invasive prenatal screening tests and how not used properly, they could lead to uh, unnecessary termination of pregnancy and pointed out in that article that these were laboratory developed tests. This immediately caught the attention of Republican Congress people who sent a letter to FDA. Certainly it was a published letter calling for FDA regulation of lab-developed tests. And as we had talked about before, this was kind of a watershed moment in fact, it was because before this, it really was only the Democratic side of Congress that was really pushing this as an agenda topic or agenda item. The other thing that the reason why people are hearing so much about it has to do, number one, is that this is a shorter legislative year because we're going into an election, which means that if bills are going to get passed, they need to get passed sooner rather than later. We can't put, they can't be pushed into the fall. One of the main Republicans who's actually worked with laboratories on this is Senator Burr from North Carolina. He will be retiring, so there's a push from him also in his office to get this done. And then last but not least, there's this what's called MADUFA, which is a medical device user fee agreement. What that is is essentially an agreement between the FDA and the device manufacturers about funding. It turns out the manufacturers actually pay a fee that funds FDA so they can regulate devices. Well, the most logical thing, since that has to pass for the FDA to have a budget this year, the most logical thing is to attach a bill 
around the regulation of laboratory developed tests to that Medufa bill, as it's called. And not to mention the laser focus on diagnostics that's come with the pandemic. So all of these things are really coming together to create, if you will, the kind of the perfect environment for something to happen on the regulation of lab developed tests by FDA. And as you said, there's a lot of different options that are out there. Number one is the FDA claims that this is under their purview and they've just chosen not to enforce. They showed it what they call discretion of enforcement around this issue. So they claim they can do this without passing a bill through Congress. It can just be done through rulemaking. But there's also the, the legislative solution, meaning a bill is passed, which kind of describes how FDA will, that goes through Congress. That's always been the preferred route because at least it's not as unilateral as FDA uh, just issuing a guidance. Well, that was a great introduction and a lot of issues here, a lot of interested parties. Of course, us as pathologists and laboratory leaders are interested in this because this will have a large impact on how we practice medicine and lots of interest in being able to still provide these laboratory developed tests because they really fill that niche where there may not be other tests available. It may just be these lab developed tests. So we certainly want to protect our patients and protect patient care. So do you want to tell us a little bit for those just joining now, what the difference between the two bills are that have been proposed so far for regulation of LDTs? Yeah, sure. And now you'd think to start with, what are the opinions or the potential fault lines, if you will, or, or areas that are up for discussion and debate that set the parameters for these bills. So you mentioned a key one, and that is the practice of medicine. So I think, as we mentioned before, the agreement is really between the federal government and the state governments is that the practice of medicine is regulated by the states. That's why we all have state licensure, not just a federal medical license. And so that from the laboratory community, we argue that this it represents a practice of medicine for laboratories and that they should not be regulated at all. There's some that say they could be regulated, but not as medical devices. And of course, there's CLIA, which is specific for governing and regulating laboratories and overseeing laboratories, which is administered by CMS, which is a separate entity from FDA. The two bills that are out there are the Vital Act, which was put forward by Rand Paul, which essentially says that the labs are already covered by CLIA and FDA should have no role in the regulation of laboratory developed tests. People who feel, and there's a lot that do, that this is a massive overreach by FDA certainly will resonate with that bill. However, it's Rand Paul, it doesn't have any other sponsors on the bill, meaning other people that are willing to sign their name to it in Congress to help push it through. It's very far afield from other thought leaders in Congress and in the White House. And so the chances of that passing, honestly, are very small. Then there is the Valid Act, which uh, I can't remember what the what the name stands for anymore. It's as bad as Mayo with their acronyms. But <laughs> like over, it's like I think it's over a 250-page bill. So it's, it's really a, long. I have it on my desktop yes. for some nighttime reading one of these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah, but good for insomnia maybe, and definitely <laughs> good for employing lawyers, but not very readable. But really, this was from a group of laboratories, both diagnostic test manufacturers and clinical laboratories that worked together with Congress to introduce a bill. And that's being introduced in the Senate, I believe, by Senator Murray from Washington, Democrat, and Senator Burr, who I mentioned earlier, Republican from North Carolina. That really tries to strike the balance in terms of setting some parameters about which tests would the FDA regulate. Would there be grandfathering, meaning tests that were already introduced would not be subject to submitting to FDA? Probably the best path forward for laboratories because it gives us the opportunity to fine tune how this might be done. But again, there's a lot of concerns because there's so far the FDA has been the primary voice in providing what's called technical assessment. So they get to actually read the bill, 
write a response to Congress about what they think should change. And so now really it's incumbent for the laboratories to get in and the diagnostic test manufacturers and also present their opinions on things. I think that's an important point you just mentioned, Bill, is that if we go the route of the VALID Act, there should be opportunity, and when there is already, for laboratorians, various leadership groups to be at the table for this bill that does have this bipartisan support to help make the valid bill the best it can be for our patients and for laboratories. And I think that's the thing is just recognizing if valid is going to be the bill that probably has the most support, then that's where we want to be as leaders to help make it the best. And I don't think we know exactly if it's going to be, you know, how it's going, what the final version is going to be, but having learned a lot about our legislative process recently, there's definitely that room for stakeholder feedback and input. Yeah. Yeah. Or holding people's feet to the fire, maybe. No, <laughs> well, there's that too. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. Yeah. I mean, look, even in our, in our profession, there's a variety of opinions from different professional societies, right? Mm -hmm. From this shouldn't happen at all to we should be on board with valid, but it shouldn't be considered separately, not with Medufa, with concerns that it'll just get pushed too quickly. It can be difficult. I, I think the most important thing that my approach has been that the landscape and the environment are really ripe for change. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to be a voice in that change for our patients yes. um, and therefore just to meaningfully engage. And so to adopt a position that this just can't happen makes it pretty easy actually to then just say, well, then you can't be at the table to help inform what does happen if it does. So that's really been the approach of myself and Mayo. I think mm -hmm. it's the best approach personally. And we still don't know. It is possible that this won't make it through I and mean, nothing will happen. But if, if ever there anything was going to happen, it would be now. And I still think actually we would be better to have something passed that made sense because it would give us some maturity going forward as opposed to continued uncertainty we just before the pandemic, I think we discussed last time how the FDA sent out and warnings and stopped people from doing pharmacogenomic testing, for instance. I think we'll mm -hmm. see more and more of this, in part because the FDA sees this as a way for test manufacturers to get a fast path to market. And they can point out problem tests, even though all of us know that the development of laboratory-developed tests as academic and pathologists and as laboratory professionals is something we do for our patients to fill a need and we're very responsible in that. But unfortunately there will be bad actors or there'll be just some unfortunate examples that FDA could use to continue to move in this direction without any input at all. So mm -hmm. I think that's really where many are, Mayo and myself included. Yeah, it's better to be at the table helping to shape change than just in denial and then having change occur without any input. And yep. as you mentioned, the FDA feels like this is already in their jurisdiction. They've greatly expanded. They've expanded their staff during the COVID pandemic. And now they've reviewed thousands of tests with this emergency use authorization. They probably feel like they could do this now on a larger scale. And so I think that the time is probably better than it's been in the past. And the other approach going through the VITAL Act would involve CMS, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services with CLIA. And from what I've heard, I could be wrong. I don't get the sense that CMS really wants to take that responsibility on. So if you have a branch of the federal government that feels that it's in their jurisdiction and they want to do it, that's probably going to gain more traction. Yep, I know you're right. First of all, CMS did pretty early in this debate come out and say that they didn't really want to regulate that part, mm -hmm. what laboratories do. So it leaves it wide open. I thought about the adage, if you're not at the table, you're on it, which is yes. definitely true here. And there's a lot we still need to learn because look, talking to people that are in the Beltway, as they say, or in DC, again, the Medufa Act I mentioned before, 
is all the fun people at the FDA that can review devices in a timely fashion. And they have, you know, they have deadlines, 150 days for certain type of submissions, et cetera. In our laboratories alone, Bobby, there's what we have over 3,000 tests and about mm -hmm. 60% of those are laboratory developed tests because yeah. of the nature of the practice. There is a recognition at FDA that, look, they've gotten overwhelmed with EUAs just for COVID testing. So mm -hmm. I think that they are also looking for options, right? But options can't believe it be, it's not your job. Options could be, look, there are other bodies we work with. Many of us work with New York State. And we've gotten, you know, New York State over the decade that I've worked with them has really evolved how they work with us to make it as user friendly as possible as we comply with the state regulations. Maybe that's a possibility even that we put forward to FDA is what's called third party review. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that we could think about as laboratories and be creative and trying to address the concerns that have been raised. And if we can, it will be good for our profession because it'll give us some stability and it'll be good for the, our, our trainees and laboratories because it'll be clear what we need to do. It won't be always the specter of, oh my gosh, is FDA going to come in tomorrow and, and regulate lab developed tests, which really almost no academic laboratory is ready for because it's a lot of work, a lot of work. It's going to be a huge impact. Well, I do think that we've shown that we can complete the various steps of the validation. We already do now, and we know that we have high quality, accurate tests, but each organization has some different things they want to see in that final validation and having clear cut guidance will allow us to fulfill those. So I think it's doable and Probably most important, it's best, again, to be at the table instead of on the table, we all need to be there. So Mayo Clinic is, some other professional societies, the College of American Pathologists. So for all the people listening, it's probably good for them to find out what their professional society's stance is on this and how they can contribute. We need to be voices for patient care is I, the yeah. most important message here. Absolutely, great advice. And the other is, Remember, if you are developing tests, to really document carefully and to really work with your clinicians, because probably one of the things that we haven't done, typically even at Mayo, as a routine part of test development, is we understand what the clinical ask is, but we don't think in terms of like a, a clinical intended use. So to continue mm -hmm. to work with your clinicians and have that documented about what you see the test is being used for, going back to the non-invasive prenatal screening articles, I mean, those are meant to be screening tests, hence the S, right? Not final decisions. So just getting some of that in writing will help you as a laboratory and just be really clear about why you're developing the tests and good documentation is important. It's something we're used to. And that'll prepare you for a future state should it come. That would be a great future topic for us to talk about the role of laboratorians in working with our colleagues that are patient facing to make sure that the tests we're developing and bringing into our lab are used appropriately. Uh, something we do fairly well here at Mayo, but there's always room for improvement. So always. excellent point. Well, thanks, Bill. This is a uh, makes my, you know, May feel a little brighter and sunnier that we, you know, have some direction we're moving towards and uh, hopefully we'll get some flowers soon. Yeah, I agree. All the way across the board. So it's great to catch up. Okay. Take care. See you later. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>